Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you, yes, you, on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and of course, the excitement of discovery. I am somehow still here as your co-host, Ed Pocock, and I am joined as always by Darth Armstrong. Hey, Zach, how you doing? Oh, sorry, I got to turn the vacuum <laughs> off there. I'm good. I'm doing just fine. Just doing a quick a bit of cleaning around the desk. The vacuum's in a very strange mood today. Um, tried to force choke me earlier, but I, I'm great. I'm great. I am, um, of course, referring yeah. to the moment where Zach, in our previous episode, said all hope was lost. Um, and uh, inevitably succumb to the dark side as a result. Yes, I would like to clear up as a result, just because of the media circus that followed, I am not pro-Death Star, I'm just a cynic about hope, that's all. Not pro-Death Star, very anti-Death Star, just to set the record straight. Do not like blowing up planets. But have you dabbled with the plans for the Death Star? This that is, is not that is not the topic of today's episode, Ed. That's <laughs> not the topic of today's episode. <laughs> yes, indeed. We are delighted to be joined once again by our illustrious guest who really upped the level of intellectualism going on in Call of Discovery in the last episode. Karen, it is a delight to have you back again. Thanks for having me. And Karen, you have brought quite the deck for us to dig our teeth into today, I believe, um, because I, I think we should skippy time hog ahead to the good part where, uh, Karen, you introduce this deck and what you love most about it. Sure. Uh, so the deck is uh, Emperor Serial Meliagrove, and it's Dislogos Shadows AOA, um, uh, Zach and I had talked previously the episode that AOA wasn't getting enough love uh, on your show, so here it is. Um, so first of all, uh, AOA is kind of a passion of mine of making these decks work. Uh, I think that the how I think that the um, the set is underappreciated in terms of its ability to combo off and just kind of do things uh, as we were talking in our last episode to kind of do things at lower costs and costless. Um, so I'll kind of get to that as we uh, as we talk about this deck. But I'll start with the dis. And uh, what you'll see uh, immediately in the deck is we've got double banish and double exhum. 
So this is going to do basically two things for you. Um, the double banish is going to become an anti-tempo play to your opponent, right? So you're going to be able to banish things that are either like inconvenient to have in their archives, or they went out on the field. Um, and you can also banish things of like different houses. So then they then take them into their hand and it's harder for them to optimally move their hand. Uh, so a little bit of anti-tempo, obviously, if they have something like a Taliga, it gives you a way to unstick it before while you're trying to find a way to kill it. Um, then uh, we have a um, chainless board clear with unlock gateway uh, and a whole bunch of creatures with double gub, which is going to give you some nice taunts. Uh, the old Yurk and the Yurk is going to toss the kind of some, uh, not bad cards out of your hand, but hands that, cards that you don't want to see right now. So they're going to move your hand a little bit, add a little bit of efficiency. Uh, and the Ember Imp is actually a pretty helpful piece of disruption, but uh, a lot of the time, if you're winning, you're going to want to toss that away. Uh, and then finally, we have the Pandemonium, which uh, if we are dominating board, uh, we're going to want to stash that away uh, for later, which brings me into uh, the Logos. So there, uh, the first thing I'm going to talk about is not kind of the feature combo. The, the first thing we're going to talk about is the Titan Librarian and the ZYX Researcher and the backup copy, right? So this is allowing us like three different cards that will allow kind of deck manipulation over time. And the Titan Librarian is especially crucial to get as much use out as possible because we have a Pandemonium, we have an Unlock Gateway, and we have a Swindle which are three cards that come at kind of immense cost to playing them. So you have to play them at perfect timing. So this Titan Librarian is going to stash, hopefully, those three cards away as we move. Uh, the ZYX Researcher, of course, is going to allow us the replayability of those cards by stashing them in our archive or getting one deeper in our deck. Um, and the backup copy is going to help us out as I move to kind of the feature combo here. So. The kind of combo that Cyril is known for is you have double Archimedes and Neutron Shark, which is going to allow you to do, um, some people call it Owl Shark, some people call it Sharkimedes, but essentially um, the shark is going to destroy the neighbors of the Archimedes. So uh, let's say we have an Archimedes down, we're going to play an Igor to go three cards deep into our deck, maybe we play a Helper Bot to get into one of those cards that we just dug out in a different house. Uh, then we can play the Neutron Shark, shark away the Archimedes and the Helper Bot, and then finally shark the, the shark itself back into your archive. And uh, what you have then is a loopable combo where we're playing these cards every single turn. Um, the backup copy helps with this because we can put the backup copy on a creature out of house. So we put the uh, we put it on like a disc creature. So I like put it on an old yurk, and then you kill the old yurk with the shark, and you know that your shark is going to hit a discard the next turn. So you're going to get another kill off of it. Um, and then so from there uh, we can move to the shadows. So um, sucker punch is and I mean it's it's kind of just like a utility like little hit, nothing really to write home about, but. Uh, we do have a Nerve Blast for that, like, one more hit and the Whistling Darts uh, for a lot of cheeky damage. The Throwing Stars, on the other hand, is, like, the underrated MVP of the deck. Because if we go back to the combo I was talking about a minute ago, we have a Helper Bot and a Neutron Shark. And uh, we have them as neighbors to the Archimedes. If we've played the Helper Bot and we have the Throwing Stars in hand, we can get both cards in our archives with plus two Amber 
instead of sharking them away, uh, which is really, really nice just to get that kind of amber cost. It's also with the throwing stars and with the sucker punch and nerve blast, there's a lot of ways to kind of optimally arrange damage to really max out the throwing stars. The double Gamgee is just one of those things where if it is sticking around on the board, you have two taunts with the gubs. Uh, it'll stick under there. That's fantastic. Uh, Merkins becomes a very broken card in this deck potentially because I can loop it just like the others uh, if I'm playing helper bot i can start playing so if your deck is like significantly more bursty than mine so let's say you have like a triple hunting witch deck i will continually loop the merkins with the helper bot logos to try to get your uh hunting witches uh instead of you having them uh the same can technically be done with the ronnie um and then of course like yangtze gang is just there if i have board presence i'm double stealing so in the end state what i'm trying to achieve with this deck is i'm building the board I'm removing creatures or artifacts as you put them out via this uh, shark removal. And the shark becomes more and more consistent over time because I start stashing logos in my archive, right? So it's like, it gets to a point where it's a near certainty that I'm going to be able to shark away like six cards. Um, so we build up this board to which you may not have a response. And if you don't, when you am if you try to amber rush me, I'm eventually going to pandemonium, uh, which I can also get around to relatively looping. So. Yeah, the real strength of this deck is like the replayability of the cards, the manipulation of the deck into two houses, as I touched on in the previous episode. So I'll, I'll stop there. That is like so many moving parts, and it's all just so cool. I, uh, in the interest of being able to talk about this deck, I took it for a spin uh, this morning before recording, and man is it the most fun kind of mental exhaustion to try to figure out how to place double Archimedes, Neutron Shark and Skippy. And I just barely pulled that off. Uh, like when I was playing it this morning and thinking about looping, looping Merkins is just one of the most insane things I've ever heard is like looping, looping a Merkins. Like that's like a viable strategy to try to steal key pieces. That's just bonkers to me. That's just bonkers. <laughs> Yeah. You don't get it every game, but when you do, it, it really does come at a high cost to the opponent. It yeah. really does. Uh, you can also play out of their archives. So uh, we've talked mm -hmm. about auto-encoder auto decks. We've talked about Infernus decks with Stirring Grave. So there's like a near certainty that they have like a stupid Infernus with an Amber and five draws on it or something, you know? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I need that thing to like, you know, not be archived over and over. And I think you've touched on this a little bit, Karen, but... You mentioned earlier that you thought a lot of AOA decks are underappreciated, and this deck is certainly quite a heady deck in you know the way that you use the cards, the way that you appreciate those combos. So why do you think AOA decks are underappreciated? Is it because those combos are, are kind of difficult to find unless you really understand all those moving parts? Um, is it because those combos are few and far between? What, what are those factors? Yeah, so I think it's it's a lot of factors, right? But I, I think the first of which is to not blame... Like, I, I don't put any blame on the player for not seeing that. Like, I'm very lucky to have this deck, so I should mention that I uh, received this deck uh, from Jupiter um, kind of in as part of compensation for a music commission. I can't really afford to spend a bunch of money on the game, so uh, I wrote, like, a piece of music for his thing, and he was hooking me up with some decks, which is a nice, like, even exchange. And... Um, so I, these kind of AOAs that can do these things are exceedingly rare, like just vanishingly rare, really. As a matter of fact, um, the double Archimedes Skippy Timehog Neutron Shark 
this I uh, last time I checked, this was the only deck that could do it. I think there might be like one. Uh, it, it, it there's really not much, but uh, so one they're like vanishingly rare, um, and the the general pull rate for the set I believe is just kind of lower. Um, that being said, I do believe that the set, and this isn't like a controversial opinion, uh, the, the the set is very like SAS underrated, right? Like when we actually look at the SAS scores on AOAs, if you have a seventy five, it's probably like way better than your world's collide 75 right mm, sure because and a huge amount of it is that the logos in aoa allows you so much replayability if you look at the stats on Cyril, uh now that we have recursion and speed as two different um as two different metrics right so we have nine speed and essentially nine um nine recursion so I can't really think of another set that allows you the it to go that fast and to recur that consistently, uh, which just causes these kind of like degenerate combos. No, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. And it's an oft-touted thing. You mentioned that Jupiter passed this deck on to you, but we here at Call of Discovery believe that every good deck has a good story attached. So how did you come across this deck? First of all, was it, part of jupiter's collection and you thought oh i really want to kind of try out this combo or was it something that you discovered after receiving the deck uh a little bit of both um so when i found it i was looking in his collection you know um and i was thinking i really really want a good aoa i didn't have a good aoa i mean it's like what we had just talked about right like i don't really blame the players mm. for kind of not liking aoa as much because <laughs> yeah sure, sure they don't a lot of people just don't have a good aoa deck uh so i was digging at the time um now and i i saw the shark right away and the first time i tested the deck of course as with all things that you test it does something like either really good or really bad right? Like it never represents its true self uh, on a first go. <laughs> um, so of course it completely goes off and I'm doing the entire combos and I'm like digging my entire deck. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, crazy. So, you know, I, I get it as, as part of that uh, deal for one of the pieces of music and I am playing it a lot. And my win rate is like, let's say like, I don't know, like 40 ish percent against like Archon level decks, something like that. And then I play with it for, for like months, like, you know, not like constantly, but I'm always like coming back to this deck and finding one more thing. Oh, one more thing. The biggest piece of which is maxing out that Titan Librarian. I cannot tell you how good stashing that card away is. Um, so you're, you're really, really maxing this deck over time. So it took me a couple months where I was like, wait, I can play this thing. And now I'm like floating around like 60% with it, something like that in like a completely open archon um I, I try not to go with the percentages too much but it gives you an idea of like the level of improvement sure. uh, so th there's just so much to find here i do think that that is a factor with people kind of underappreciating their aoas because i mean if you look at the the stat spread on serial it's very kind of underwhelming right like it has very low expected amber very low like apparent amber control and the the real you know the real like devil of it is the ability to just use these cards over and over again. And of course, SAS is not evaluating it kind of correctly because it's assuming that I'm getting a certain amount of utility per deck cycle. Oh, sure. sure. But that's not actually what's happening, obviously. 
Yeah, yeah that that makes that makes a lot a lot of sense. Um, uh, playing Merkins, you know, once in in a deck cycle is one thing, but being able to in some games set up Merkins uh, to be played uh, two, three, or four or more times in a cycle is uh, another thing entirely. Especially when you've got options of that and Skippy Time Hog, which is a, a legacy in this deck, which is so special. Sure, um, Helperbot uh and all that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally forgot to mention the Skippy. It, it, it's it's a killer. Um, as you saw, um, it's another one power creature, so you can hit it with the uh, with the throwing stars, and uh, obviously you're sticking it down every turn. That's the priority run. Like, I mean, the Igor and the Helferbotter help you get deeper into the deck and use different houses. But uh, if I'm looping Time Hog, it's making it so you literally cannot use your cards, and I can play it. I've had games where I play it like 10 times in a row, like, because you can just preserve the combo. Man, that is, that is really something I know we had in the early days of the game before a rules, uh, clarification slash change. There was a more common lockout with control the weekend restoring Guntus. Uh, but then that right. was, that was changed. And that started my love for whatever a lockout deck can look like in Keyforge because, uh, I had a deck with three control the week and restoring Guntus and ways to get that off consistently. Um, but when that changed, I was like, well, what do lockout decks look like in Keyforge? And um, as many people know, I collect rocket Tesmol decks, which are probably one of the least efficient ways to attempt to get a lockout <laughs> going in Keyforge. Because <laughs> um, every lockout deck that can actually lock out some specific aspect of your opponent's activity is something like this that's completely unique and you can't actually find another deck that does it. <laughs> that, that's yeah. it, though, right? It's a secret control deck. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Like Until, that, yeah. You don't need the amber control because you just don't let your opponent have literally anything that does generate amber. <laughs> that's your amber control, is controlling them to the point where they just can't. Right. So... so uh, just out of interest, what cards does this really struggle against? Doesn't is uh, an Infernus, for example, the kind of card that can actually take some of those key puzzle pieces out of the game and and make this deck really struggle, um, bring this deck down to earth, as it were, or or because of the nature of recursion in this deck, does that never is that never a problem? So um, Infernus can obviously be an issue. Um... One of the things, of course, you know, talking about it on a podcast might hurt me, but um, um, they need to understand what they need to take with the Infernus, which is not the easiest thing, uh, because maybe sure. I haven't gotten the combo going. So, like, they really do need to know what to hit. Uh, the thing that this deck struggles against the most is just pure, like, gross amount of Amber Pip Rush. Um, because no amount of game state control matters if you have a perplexing sophistry with three amber pips on it. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, yeah. like, I, yeah. and I, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm referring to a deck uh, called Virus, which is, uh, I, think, I think it's a Kip deck um, right now. But, uh, so, like, that has three amber pips on it, or, you know, or if you're doing that, especially, like, um, I'd say like really, really degenerate Coda Rush can be a problem where you're just like bouncing dust pixies up and down. Like, but the the biggest problem that I can have is if you have no other goal than to like generate Ember. 
Sure. Sure. Yeah, that that makes sense. I can I can see that. Is that a, is that a situation with with this deck when you're figuring out what the matchup is looking like in the, you know, before the Archon match or whatever it is and and then during the first few turns, is there ever a point where you have to say, "Well, I should probably just play my board and reap?" Or is the combo is the kind of out via the combo just so powerful that this deck really does want to go there every time? No, that that is the uh, that is the complicated thing. That's like another yeah. That, I mean, it's a great question because it's something I haven't touched on. Right, eventually you have to stop if you're super winning, right, and just like reap, right? right. Like, <laughs> like eventually I need to generate that amber, and it's it's a very kind of complicated question. So what I end up doing is kind of establishing it a little bit at a time, usually. So it's like, oh well, I'll leave the pip pip out. And I'll leave the librarian out, of course, so I can do that. So like, that's two bodies. And uh, you know what I mean? And you kind of, it's like, well, I've done this combo a bunch. I don't need to do it this turn. It's in the archive. Let me put out my disc creatures. And you're kind of like feeling out your opponent's ability to deconstruct that, right? And even beyond that, you know, if you take those two banish, the two exhume, pandemonium, they all serve a purpose in your deck. They all serve a purpose yeah, to to kind of give you the leg up, but they also all give you an amber pit when you play them as well. So right. I imagine you're getting a lot of amber through yeah, not needing those bodies on the ground as well. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't... I mean, I, I think that Zach is probably like closer to the end state. Like I really do need to reap or I can have the double Gamgee, double Yangtze gang if I can stick them to the board and keep you from doing your thing like i can then take a very helpful shadows turn um the other thing uh it doesn't seem like much but uh because i'm keeping my opponent boardless most of the time with this game uh like if i'm in the kind of win state that i want to be in is swindle is absolutely devastating if your opponent is trying to play boardless um oh sure sure because they're it's you're basically negating an entire turn worth of amber um and again the the real danger is if i'm being rushed past because i I don't have like the infernus to punish multiple pips like a fertility chant like uh, or like there was one game that i lost with it in a tournament where the person like first turn communes and then like you know second turn like um what, what what's the one that gives you double the pips. Uh, wild bounty. Yeah, so they like wild bounty into a fertility chant with an oh. extra, with like an extra pip after that, and oh, I'm just no. like, I actually <laughs> do not have a response to this, right? Um, right. Right. Yeah. So like that's what I'm that's what I'm generally being uh, most punished by. <laughs> uh, oh, the other card, the absolute um, kryptonite, is a Desania. Oh gosh, yeah, oh, Desania. Yeah. 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 Dasanya, the card that everybody knows as Kryptonite to many good decks, but you can never quite find one of your own great decks that happens to have Dasanya in it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating, which I I think this this deck occupies such a great space in Keyforge's like fractalized rock, paper, scissors, right? Yeah, because we know that there's mass mutation style rush, there's coda style rush. We know that worlds collide, some key cost increases, and anti-steel can deal with some of those kinds of decks, and a mass mutation deck isn't going to be able to control your own amber burst, and so it's just really interesting to see where this deck lives. 
uh, in the middle of of that whole system. That's really fascinating. It's the one yeah. you ne- never see coming, right? Mm-hmm. Right. right. Yeah. No, and this is why, like, and I'll give a like like a brief shout out to Morty Voss for um, running running them so often. But this is a lovely Tesla deck for that reason. Mm. So. Um, for those of you that haven't done the format, like first of all, check out Morty Voss. Um, he runs the tournaments every week. Uh, but essentially, you alternate Archon and Reversal. The first round is, de- is decided randomly, right? Uh, which means you can't get an advantage. Like if we knew it was Archon, you would bring stronger decks because you would get an advantage. Um, so the first round is random and then you alternate. But uh, your opponent needs to then figure out this deck when you give it to them. And it is really, really nice for that format. Um, or uh, best of one adaptive is interesting, but the hands can be a little bit too high rolly for a best of one adaptive. Uh, I think best of three adaptive is really perfect for it. Sure, sure. It takes uh, it takes a lot to pierce the veil of this deck. <laughs> so <laughs> you, it's one of those where I, I know people uh, sometimes lament that um, they want a little more obscurity in adaptive by maybe playing your opponent's deck first. But I think even watching you play this deck that doesn't mean they're going to be able to pilot it as well as you do, even after just one watch, because there's so much going on. Um, I friggin' I put a backup copy on a helper bot in my game to get familiar with this. And then I played neutron shark and went, Oh, well my helper bots on top. So uh, no more shark, I guess like, and I even was attempting to know what I was doing. I knew what I was trying to go for. You can do that. Like this is exactly one of those conversations, right? You can do it if you want your shark combo to end. Like, oh, if you're like, sure. oh, like, I just can't, like, <laughs> like, like, I can't afford to discard X card. Oh, yeah, that's a great off point. Of, off of the shark. So it, it, going back to our conversation in the first week about cost, shark is such an interesting version of cost. Where it's like playing the card means, especially in this deck that I'm going to be discarding like routinely five or six cards. Right. And selecting something of your own and your opponents to blow up. So there's the risk of the risk or knowledge of the discard that might accelerate you or get rid of the thing you want, as well as figuring out the value of trading with your opponent on just something. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Karen, I believe it is time to ask you our most key question here on Call of Discovery. If there was a card that you could put in this deck that is currently not there, what would that card be? And of course, why? Oh, that's tough. Um, It would almost definitely be in shadows. And I think it would be to like either replace the Scally Caper with a second Ronnie or to put a too much to protect in this deck. Sure, sure. Just anything to counter that rush, get the Amber Control a little bit better. Um, it's not like it's not even a specific card, right? It's just like if I had some kind of oppressive Amber Control, it would just be, it would be very hard to beat this deck. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Or oh, how about an Infernus? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I'll take a couple Infernuses. Uh, <laughs> that would be cool. Right, I'll take most, a couple, yeah. I'll take oh, those if, on most days that end in Y. <laughs> yeah, well, if I can, if I can go out of set, I didn't know I could go out of set. Um, the rules, like... the rules are, yeah, the rules are there are no rules. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, give me a time traveler. Yeah, oh, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, I, I mean, well, that's in set. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. in set. Uh, give me a time traveler. Uh, I could take like uh, some kind of. Um, 
Give me a data forge. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Sharkamedes into Data Forge is is oh my goodness. Somebody yeah. put Data Forge in a deck that can actually use it, please. <laughs> Repeated <laughs> repeatedly. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> because you could uh, ZYX researcher it. Oh goodness. Oh. oh yeah. The gross. challenge with that card is the decks that it could go in legitimately are the decks that could abuse it massively. And in all other decks, it doesn't really do very much. (laughs) (laughs) That that reminds me of the the finals, the very final, final game of the first, uh, the glorious, uh, the glorious few sanctimonious tournament. Um, It was the very final, final game. And Nathan Starwalt purged Dave Cordero's Data Forge and Dave put into the chat. Ah, I guess we're going to play a fair game of Keyforge now. (laughs) (laughs) It was... uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the, my most memorable moments of, of spectating a game in Keyforge was was that exact moment. <laughs> Dave is so good with that like little comment that lets he lets you know that he knows what you know. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this is true, which you can generally assume anyways, because he's a very smart player. But uh, yes, yes, indeed. Well, Karen, thank you so much to both you uh, and the Emperor themselves, uh, Cyril Meloglove here, for coming back on the show to talk about this deck, Legacy Skippy, with a whole lot more than just a Skippy loop, which just on its own, I love, but just such an interesting deck to dive into and so much uh, relevance to talking about cost in Keyforge. Every game I play, I'm going to be thinking about costs for the next two weeks and how it's affecting the game. So yeah, thank you for uh, bringing the Emperor along and for coming back yourself. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, And you, dear listener, the other part of our conversation If you are enjoying Call of Discovery, please make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice. And if you're new to Keyforge, be sure that you visited the new player guide on Archon Arcana, the Keyforge wiki, which we've linked below, to make sure you're well on your way to your own unique journey in this wonderful game. You can visit our Patreon linked below where you can sign up for that monthly support and enjoy all the rewards listed like our exclusive Discord where we often get topics and questions for our shows. Uh, do give us a shout on social media. Let us know what you want to see more of or less of in future shows. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also send us an email at podcast at callofdiscovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? Discovery.